If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Debbie Rivers. I can't even say it. Debbie Rivers. Welcome, Debbie. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, I can't even talk either. <laughs> Menopause has got a grip today. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days. I've been looking forward to chatting to you because you're a relationship expert. You've got a background in NLP, you've got all sorts of coaching things, but you you concentrate on supporting people like midlife, older people, or people who are just coming out of relationships in creating themselves again and having a look at the relationship and all that kind of thing. Talk to me about what it is you do and why you started doing it. Okay. My personal motto is it's never too late to have the life and the love that you want. And probably why I started doing what I did as a kid, I had the dream of my own happily ever after. I imagined having the Brady Bunch, not the Brady Bunch, but the perfect family, the perfect kids. And when I was unhappy in my marriage, I didn't imagine that would be me. And at some points I was so unhappy that I used to ask people how I could be happy and what happiness looked like and how they were happy. So I ended up walking away from a 21-year marriage, which for anyone that's done that, people say it's the easy option. It's one of the hardest things you're ever going to have to do, even if you want it. Like <laughs> I felt like I was cutting off half my body and trying to live because I'd never, I went from living at home to living with my husband. I'd never made choices on my own before, let alone, I don't know, done chosen what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, a house by myself, furniture by myself, which was all wonderful things to do. But long story, I didn't leave to meet someone else. I actually, very cliched, wanted to find myself, wanted to find what I was passionate about, wanted to go travel because he didn't want to travel. So I traveled to 35 countries since I've left my marriage and had a wonderful time. Along the way, sorry, I'm talking too much. Along the way, I really did know that I wanted to, eventually I wanted to be in a relationship and dip my toe in the dating world. And it's such a different world. Like, how do you navigate that? There weren't dating apps when I was single the last time. And there weren't the horror stories that you hear. And dating comes with its own language. But I also found that when I started dating, I'd find ways that fear would get in the way, that I would sabotage, that I'd be scared of making a bad choice. So I went and did a lot of training to how I could help myself and how I could help other people. And that's what I do now. And I, I love what I do. Let's start at the beginning because we were talking just before we came on air. And you touched on it just then. Leaving a long-term relationship, I don't know where the idea comes from. It's the most difficult thing to do. It is not the easy option. Talk to me about that because... No, it would be... Yeah, it was not 
I didn't wake up one morning and go, that's it, I'm going to end my 30-odd year marriage. I've had enough now and I, there's no particular reason, but I'm just going to move on with my life. How do you do that? <laughs> it's, it's just not well, easy. No, and you've got kids involved and life tied together. And I don't know, I used to think just being unhappy, that wasn't enough of a reason. Like he was a good man, he wasn't a terrible man, but we just got to a place where it wasn't the life I imagined. This wasn't how I imagined my life to be. And but walking away, I don't know, like I felt guilty, I felt shame, I felt like I was a failure at the one thing that I wanted to do. And I know plenty of the people I work with feel the same way. And that gets in the way of you living the life that you want to. And then it comes, what's coming up for me, is it selfish as well? Because if your life is okay, why would you want to, there's actually two things here. If it's okay, why would you want to change that? Is it just because the grass is always greener on the other side? And are you being selfish for wanting more? It's crazy because... You only get one life, don't you? So it's not selfish for wanting more. <laughs> do you, I, I don't know about, like, at the end of my marriage, we went and did whatever we could take. We went and did counselling. We went and did some of those things and we couldn't, we were just so polar opposite. I wanted to travel the world. He wanted to go live in a country town and never talk to another person ever, whereas I love talking to people. So it just felt, I don't know, I, I felt to some degree I'd given up some of my dreams to be married. And in some part of, I don't know, whether you call it your soul or your yourself, I couldn't do it anymore. And I think one of the biggest reasons that people split up mid midlife it's easy to be distracted when you've got kids. It's easy to focus on them and to be busy. But then when they grow up, you're just left there with each other thinking this isn't making, it's not even making you happy. It just doesn't feel good. For either of you as well, it's not just about us. It's like yeah. for me, I we've known for a few years that the relationship wasn't, moving either of our lives forward and we had four kids and it started but that's a really good point actually because it was when the kids started growing up and I started looking down the barrel of being an empty nester or an almost empty nester and going oh what now because I'm so used to hanging around and waiting for somebody to need me for something almost that was my purpose in life yeah so you, you come to this crossroads and I, I think we've all got dreams that you put aside and then you can be with someone that you're going in opposite directions. And don't get me wrong, I believe some marriages can absolutely be saved and you can reconnect and you can grow together, right? Because I, I know from being on the other side, the grass isn't greener. You're going to go meet, if you're going to date again, you're going to meet someone who's got baggage, that's got kids, and you're going to bring your stuff into the next relationship. They're going to bring their stuff. So it just gets more layered and more complex. But that doesn't mean that you need to stay or that you won't move on and be happy. I, I, I feel like most marriages you need to do what it takes to know that you can't keep going in that relationship if that makes sense like you you try to fix it you try and do the counseling and if you're still 
polar opposites and you're unhappy, it's not selfish to want to go and live the life that you need to. But it also takes an awful lot of courage to go, okay, enough. It's so much courage because so many things can go wrong. And particularly, I think the fastest growing age group for homelessness is women aged 50 Mm. and over. (laughs) So we're all staring down that barrel of fear. How do we, so how have the people that you've worked with and how did you get up that courage? And because there's an awful lot of inertia as well, it's easier to stay with what you know than it is to do something that you don't know and you don't know how it's going to work out. Exactly. Do you know what I find? A lot of people create a situation that makes them leave. That's where infidelity comes in or (laughs) it really is. People might go out and, and, and do something, but their subconscious thing is to break it and give it a reason why it can end. And I see that a lot on both sides Mm. because having the reason to leave makes it easier because it does take a lot of courage. And I, I remember it took me something like, I don't know, I stayed seven years longer than I wanted to at the end of my marriage because I just kept trying and nothing changed. And, in fact, I would have been better off doing it earlier rather than later and I think that we wait for the kids to grow up we wait for them to be okay but the best example we can give our kids is living a life that you know is true and authentic and yeah it's really hard isn't it I remember (laughs) reading somewhere not long ago that women leave a marriage because they're unhappy and they'll make something happen but men will find somebody else and then leave the marriage so that's a generalisation. <laughs> yes, yeah. And you know what? Women will often take longer to leave a marriage than like they'll think about it and they'll think about it. By the time they've left, they're done. And, and men often tell me how blindsided they are. And, and when I ask the men, they go, she's been telling me and telling me for years, but I just thought that's what she says and she's not going to do anything about it. Whereas men, on the other hand, they make a decision and they go. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Why? Let's look at that for a moment. Why do you think the men are so blindsided when the wife's been telling them for years or their partner's been telling them for years that they're not happy? I think it's interesting. I think that they just, women often don't mean what they say, do they? Do you know what I mean? We'll say it and then we don't take any action. So it's a bit like the boy that cried wolf. You say it and you say it and say it. No one listens to you in the end. So I think in our relationships, we're not very good at communicating. And over the years, that resentment grows and we stop listening to each other. And I I think we get comfortable and think that this is going to be the way it is. And, And guys, I think, because guys think and act quite differently, if for many of them, if they want, didn't want to be there, they'd be out quicker than we would. I don't see I don't see men agonizing as often over the choice, but they are more likely to go down the road of finding someone else and really quickly replacing you, which is really devastating for because they will do it very quickly. So when how do you so when people come to you, obviously they're usually already separated and looking for the next relationship. Is that what happens? Yeah, look, I probably I prefer my favourite thing to do is to work with women to help them find the life that they want 
because I think that's not about finding a man. It's often dealing with your own stuff, growing and healing some of that stuff and being clear about what you want. Often I have people come to me down the track and maybe they still need to forgive or they need to heal or they've got guilt or shame for leaving because that stuff unfortunately tends to hang around. Some people can move on very easily, but I find a lot of people are stuck in that guilt and they don't think that they should be happy, particularly if they've left someone. How can they be happy if the other person is miserable and they feel responsible for it? It's a bit tough. And the flip side, I help people be successful dating and I help them have fun out there dating. And some of what holds them back is some of this, the fear of being trapped. If you've left one relationship, the fear of being stuck in another is, is quite big. The fear of getting it right the second time around, the fear that you've got no time to waste. Like that. It's not just also fear about losing money and is someone going to find you attractive at this age? We're not as young and thin and can you find love later in life? All of those questions is what I help people deal with. And from my side, I've seen so many people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s find wonderful relationships. So I know that like it's never too late. So in terms of unpacking your own baggage, what are the kind of things you look at? Because like you say, if we've had one failed relationship, if you don't start looking at why you were unhappy with that relationship, then you're likely to repeat it. That's what the statistics say, isn't it? Yeah, and look, there is some research that said most people leave a relationship hell-bent not to ever do the same thing again. And the majority end up in exactly the same relationship. I think they call it Groundhog Day. So unless you, there's one thing, you've got to learn, you've got to learn how, like Bill Murray, each time he learnt a bit different. And I think sometimes dating older in life is like that. One time he learnt to play the piano, another time he learnt something else. You either have to learn how, why that type of person doesn't work for you because we often have a type. And if we choose the same type of person again, we're going to get the same results, right? Or... If we are going to choose the same type of person, what is it that we bring into the relationship that causes that dynamic? And that comes down to relationship skills, being able to ask for what you want and what you need, be clear about what's important to you in life, not lose yourself in another relationship. And, and I find plenty of women do that. So it's really being clear about what it is that got you there in the first place. And and I think one of the best things that you can do when you leave a marriage is go find yourself as cliched as that sounds. Go find what you love. Go find what you enjoy. Because for so many years you compromise for what they want to do and you give in. Whereas you can go try classes. You can go, I love traveling alone. And I found that I traveled with friends, but the best experiences I had was on my own where it forces you out of your comfort zone and you experience different countries and different lives and a different lifestyle. So it's finding your passion and what you enjoy, especially after you've brought up kids, right? You've devoted your life to them. You don't really know what it is you want. I think I think most of us aren't, though. Even the other week, one of my eldest sons said to me, I said, oh, I can't remember what I said, something about, oh, I can't. I maybe ought to think about doing this because of the cats. And he's, Mum, why don't you just do what you want to do with no regard for any of us kids or the cats? <laughs> but we're so used I know, to I think 
we're so used to putting everybody else. I'm so used to putting everybody else first. That was the hardest thing for me when, just to give a bit of background here, I separated from my husband at the start of the year and I sold our house, which fortunately was in my name alone. So I didn't need my husband's signature and actually did it while he was out of the country. And I moved house. <laughs> but when I was looking to move, I was still in the thing of, okay, because this is what we've done over the years, buy a house, do it up, live in it for a while and make some money on it. So I was still in that thing. Okay, I need to buy a big house and I need to do it up and it's got to be four or five bedrooms and it needs to be big enough for everybody. I've got a child that lives in Canberra, one in Geelong, one in Brisbane, and I live on the Sunshine Coast, nowhere near my children, right? So why do I need enough bedrooms for everybody? And one of my daughters came to home and said, Mum, what do you want? And I'm like, well, I don't know. (laughs) I found it so difficult. (laughs) Give me suggestions. Well, I think you might like something nearly light and really light and bright and something near the beach maybe and close to the cafes. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I would. Yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't think of it myself. (laughs) So, yeah, I think we just don't know. And I think that that is an exciting part to go and find what you like and stop choosing for your kids, choosing for someone else. And I I think a lot of women do. They put everyone else first. Menopause is good for one thing. It makes you, it helps you stop putting up with the crap you don't want. And I think that's another reason that women leave, that women's hormones change and they become more like men and men become more like women at this time of life, right? Yeah, I think you're right with that. And and it, that was a big shock for me because unfortunately I was going through menopause as my two daughters were going through puberty. So that was a really interesting household and uh, but it's like I was suddenly shocked by what I didn't want to tolerate anymore. <laughs> it it was really interesting, and I have sp- I spoke to a psychologist a couple of years ago, and she did say that a lot of men in long term marriages, when their wife hits fifty fifty five. And they suddenly go, I'm not happy with you just sitting there and me bringing your dinner to you and you acting lording it over everybody. I've had enough. And the husband's like, but she's put up with this for 30 years. Why is she suddenly getting upset about it? <laughs> and I yeah. think it's a massive yeah. shock. Yeah. And I, I think women's testosterone levels rise, right? So then they they change their focus and they don't put up with stuff. And men's lower. They're, they're later in life looking for more of a connection with someone. So it shifts and changes and it gives us the ability to make some of these choices we wouldn't have made before. That's really interesting. Let's just go back a couple of steps because I sidetracked the thing then. How do you actually get to the bottom of what it is you want? Because I have... No clue, not a clue, zero clue. <laughs> and it's really confronting to even think what? about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? You're not going to know what you want. So the fun is to go and experiment and go try. You don't have to make any hard and fast decisions. Maybe the things when you were younger and you go, I always wanted to try that, go try it. 
go try a dance class, go try an acting class, try a painting class. Go. I I love, I would look up meetup.com and meetup.com is in every city in the world. And they have, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen them, different interest groups for different things. There's everything from business networking to singles groups. There's like crochet and a cafe, golf, hiking. So you can go and join some social groups and without paying any money, meet some new friends, expand your life. And you don't have to be stuck in any one choice. And I think that's the fun of it. And I'm, for many women, the last thing you want to date, do is date when you get straight out of a relationship. It's more important to go, what do I love? And then you can go meet someone who matches that when you're ready. That's a really but good way. But yeah, have fun of- planning. Yeah, I I was going to say it's a really good way of doing it because it's like baby steps. It's almost like you're not getting back on the dating scene. You just go in to try to figure out what it is you enjoy now, what gives you joy in life, what gives you passion in life, what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning almost. It's not looking for a relationship per se. It's, It's learning about yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And I think when you get out to dating should be a bit like people go, I want to meet the person. But it's almost like you're going into kindergarten, right? In kindergarten, you learn by playing. You learn by being messy and whatever. So I think whatever you do, bring back the joy in your life. Like I often tell women to go on a pleasure diet, right? Or the challenge for a month. Do one thing each day just for the pleasure of doing it. And it's a bit like a pleasure hunt. You've got to go find the things that give you pleasure, whether that's walking along the beach, whether that's joining a book club, whether that's whatever it is, do one thing just for the pure joy of doing it. And that happiness at any age makes anyone more attractive. If we worry about ageing, I think when you're living a life that you love, those people are the most attractive in life, right? Yeah. The happy people, they're the ones you want to be around. Yeah, and we remember how we feel around people long after we remember how they look. So I I think it's really important to reconnect with yourself, Not not what a husband wants, not what your kids want. What do you truly want? And just go on an experiment to find that without any pressure, without anything to find your purpose or mission in life. It's just what brings you joy and happiness. Is it difficult because if you start seeing people just for the pleasure of it, if you're going back to kindy and you're going to try making those friendships again, which tend to go horribly wrong, you see a five-year-old thing, I hate her. (laughs) (laughs) She was your best friend this morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting scenario to go back to because you've also then got to be able to not necessarily forgive yourself, be willing to make mistakes and be willing for stuff to go horribly wrong and blow up in your face. (laughs) And you will make mistakes, right? You will because that's we're not robots, we're humans, having a human experience. I, I think sometimes people put too much pressure on themselves. And I think for a lot of women, If you come out of a a marriage, making a new group of friends is one of the most important things you can do. I know when I left mine, I had to make a whole different group of friends. And I did that through meetup groups and people that I'm still friends with 17 years later. And it's fun to make new friends, but sometimes we feel like we can't. But there are so many people in the same position as you are 
And when you find the people who are your people, it just makes life better. That's probably one of the most challenging things, isn't it? Going meeting new people. That's a scary thing. (laughs) It is scary, but it's also, I don't know, there are so many people in the same position that I know the first time I went to one of these things, I went to, I Googled. <laughs> so I remember going to, years ago when I left my marriage, I went to a psychic, right, <laughs> as you do. And she goes, she actually just gave me advice. You need to go find some social groups. So I Googled and I found the meetup group. And I remember that there were pictures of the people on there. And when I got there, it was really daunting. You walk into a, I walked into a bar on my own, which women don't do. And I remember at least I saw the pictures of the people and I went and talked to them and it was amazing. It was so hard to do. I never forget how hard that was to do because it took courage. But now I go, oh, it's the best thing that I ever did. So a lot of the best things happen outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, and that goes back to that original point that we were making is it's often easier to stay in what you know than it is to do something different. Yes. Yes, it is. But you end up, I don't know, like you end up dying on the inside, which is not what you want either. So do you work with couples that are still together or just people that have already separated or people that are starting a new relationship? I probably prefer people who are starting a relationship because what happens with counselling is people go to counselling like 16 to 17 months after they need it. So by the time they come, I I have had a couple of couples come to me and it's so far beyond the point that one wants out and there's so much resentment there that it's really difficult unless you're like counselling is not my thing, I'm a dating relationship coach, which is quite different. Sometimes I think it's more powerful, but for couples in that point, they need a professional that can help them through that process. So I don't know, that's a really tough place to be in. Even even there are people like divorce coaches, I think that's also a tough spot to be in, helping people through that difficult time because it it really is, I don't know, I think it's one of the hardest things that you're ever going to go through in life. Like all of the stages, you're going to have the stages of grief when your marriage dies, even if you want it, because it's like the death of something that you had once. It's a really tough thing to go through even if you both want it I see people experience so many emotions so much yeah it's one of the I don't know isn't it one of the top five stresses like death divorce moving house having a child yeah so when you're working with somebody new with a new couple what are the kind of things that you talk about what do they go through (laughs) it being like 35 years since I had a new relationship (laughs) <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So you might work with people at all stages. Like I'm working with a woman in her 50s at the moment that's just met someone and they're in the early stages of a relationship. So what's interesting is all of she's been in relationships where people have abandoned her before. So as soon as the guy pulls away a bit, her anxiety comes out and her either wanting to push the guy away or be needy and call him. Like managing that is is one thing. Then with the couples that are in a new relationship, how can you establish communication so you can actually hear one another? Because we're the honeymoon stage for everyone goes through. The um, chemicals that are released in your brain 
is like you're on drugs. Like, and it shuts down the judgment side of your brain, but just in relation to the person you're dating, right? So you can see things that you don't like about them, but that what the chemicals do in your brain, you just go, oh, it doesn't matter, right? And, and then when the influence of chemistry wears off, it's usually three months to three years. Then people go, oh my God, how did I end up here again with someone that's got these red flags? Sometimes it's working with people to know what's not going to work for them to start with, but it's also working out how they can communicate so they can be heard, how they can have certain things in place. And I've done the Gottman Institute training where he put couples in love labs, a love lab for 40 years and he studied what they did. So he says he can predict with, I think it's about 94% accuracy, the relationships that will work and the relationships that won't work, just based on how they communicate with each other and, and certain things that they do. And, and it's quite fascinating that if you start off putting some of these things in place, you've got a much better chance of your relationship working because it's all the way you could communicate with each other. So talk to me about that, the, the lab, the, Gottman was it that you said? Yeah, yeah. So they actually put people in what was a bed and breakfast and they put mics in there and cameras and they watched them. And you'd think that people would act better because there were cameras in there, but they didn't. <laughs> so I know they, I think he studied a bunch of 126 newlyweds and he kind of said that there was one thing that couples in a relationship do that gives them a better chance of working. And 86% of the couples that survived did this one thing. And the couples who divorced only did it 35% of the time. So what it was is in a relationship, they call it something called biz the connection. So say I'm reading the paper and I go, oh, look at this. That's a bid for connection. So I'm trying to get your attention with what I'm doing. The couples that respond to that bid for connection, whether it's a nod of your head or yes or something, had the best chance of their relationships work. Those who ignored the bid for connection or were negative about it had the least chance of working. So it was those small things often that couples do that had the biggest impact. And we all have, no one's going to respond to people's bids of connection all the time. So I think the successful couples, it was 86% of the time they responded to them positively. The couples who didn't work only responded positively 35% of the time. That makes a lot of sense. And I can see that in my relationship. It's been a long-term complaint and not just about my partner responding mm. to me, but responding to other people as well. It, if he doesn't want to answer it, he'll just ignore it. <laughs> That's yeah. really annoying. Yeah. So, then, so then, you feel, <laughs> then you don't feel heard or seen and it doesn't create a healthy relationship, right? No. So it's setting those things up and realising the impact in the beginning. Same within relationships. They talk about the five love languages, but the Gottmans talk about the love map. So if, I, if you love me, there's all of these things that you would know about me. You might know that I take my coffee this way, that I like this, that I don't like this person, that my favourite chocolate bar. There's a whole pile of things that you know about me. Now, we often think in relationships we know each other and we don't. We have to continue to get to know who they are now, not who they were five years ago. And 
Things like regular date nights are really important where you don't talk about your to-do lists or the kids. And I think they've done, there's research that said the average couple only spend 10 minutes a day talking to each other and mostly about their to-do lists. We spend more time on social media. So it's no wonder that our relationships suffer. So when you come into a new relationship, it's easy to communicate in the beginning. You want to find out everything about each other. But then as you get comfortable, you stop doing that stuff. And that's where it goes wrong. So knowing what the foundations need to be. And same with, I think they found that for most couples, 69% of your conflict is unsolvable. Yet we have those same arguments over and over again. And it's usually unsolvable because we marry someone who's the opposite of us and we can't solve their personality. So maybe the introvert marries the extrovert and you can't change that someone isn't as outgoing as you are. And if you continue argue about who they are, they can't change that. So there's a whole pile of things. So I suppose what I like to do when I work with people is help them make a good choice to start with, deal with their shit, and then help them have the relationship skills to go into the next relationship. Because it's not just a matter of meeting that next person. If it, if it only was that easy, right? You only have to watch Married at First Sight to see how often that doesn't work. <laughs> it's, it'd be interesting. Oh, I know, right? It's, that's If you're outside of Australia and listening to this, go and Google Married at First Sight Australia. That's just, it's, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and not to find your lover, basically. And they've got as much help as they can get. They've got experts coming out of their ears. But it's really interesting. They don't, though. Go on, they don't. No, they set them up to fail, right? So they match people. And when I watch that show, I get really frustrated because when they have the conflict, they could actually step in and help them deal with that conflict, but they don't. So as much as they have all the help, they don't. They've they've been set up with the person that's going to give the best ratings. Yeah, look this way for all the arguments and the drama. It's interesting as you were talking just then, I got to, we're going to start off in this with all these rose-tinted glasses and everything and the sparkles going off everywhere. But how long does it take for us to fall back into the habits of our previous relationships where we start to behave in a certain way and we start to hear certain things and interpret certain behaviours? in a particular way. How long does that usually take? And how can we become aware of that? That was where I was going to go. Yeah, it can happen pretty quick depending on the people. Like when I'm working with people, unless they're aware, I'll often take people through a stepping into love program, right? So they become aware of their patterns and their beliefs that they take into relationships. So then when they get back out and date, they can go, oh, shit, there's that pattern. I'm doing that. This is really old stuff. It's not to do with this new relationship because most of what we do is automatic as humans, right? That's in of what we do without thinking. We drive the car without thinking. We, it, it's, our brain works on automatic with most things, especially with relationships. So it can be easy when it's exciting, but then when you get comfortable. But I think people get into their patterns really quickly if they're not aware of them. And they often think it's just a matter of finding someone different 
But with that different person, if you bring your insecure self, if you bring the person who doesn't trust someone, you're going to end up sabotaging that relationship pretty quickly. I love the saying that it's almost like you're bleeding over someone that didn't hurt you in the first place. So you're wounded going into dating. You know, if you think all men are cheaters and you go out in the dating world with that viewpoint, you're going to look for evidence of the truth and you're going to find it. And I think some people will be so cynical and so accusing that they push people away too. So there's, it's so much more complex when you date the second time around. But when we say some of these things, it doesn't, I think some of the reason I do what I do is it doesn't have to be that bad. Dating can absolutely be fun. And it really is. Our relationships are where we get the best personal development ever because it's a mirror to show us who we are a lot of the time. What is available on the other side? Sorry, I've got to say to everybody who's watching right now, please excuse me <laughs> having to constantly push up my glasses. I'm not being rude or giving anybody the finger. I'm just it's really, it's really hot in my room at the moment. And I can't put the fan on because my hair goes all wonky. So I'm just going to put that out there. So this is a lot of work on ourselves, isn't it? Like basically this is all about working on ourselves, getting to know mm -hmm. ourselves. But I hear so many people say to me, oh, but that's just the way I am. <laughs> you need yes. to put up with that because <laughs> that's just the way I am. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a choice. And saying that's the way you are isn't very empowering, right? But coming out the other end, dating like at this age is more complicated because when we were young, we were just, everyone looks equally, we're all equally young. It's really easy. You've got no nothing to worry about. It's easy to fall into a relationship, right? The stakes aren't that high. People haven't had these experiences that affected them. And they may have stuff from childhood from their parents. So don't get me wrong. Like we've all had stuff when we were younger but it, it doesn't seem as hard to deal with than when you get to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s and beyond, right? And what you find is here you come into the dating experience with your stuff. They come into the dating experience with their stuff. And no longer do we look how we used to. <laughs> I, I often think people, women will swipe through the dating apps and go, oh, this guy looks terrible, this guy looks terrible. And I, I think of people like Mick Jagger. If you saw him on a dating app, you'd swipe the other way, wouldn't you? But people are totally. so much beyond what they look. <laughs> and this whole, people tend to approach dating very superficial. Like I work with a lot of people that want to meet George Clooney, who lives five k's from their house, who's financially secure, who's intelligent and funny. <laughs> but that's just not realistic, okay? And the men want Elle McPherson. So... There are some amazing people out there, but what I find people get caught up in is it's easy to get caught up in the superficial and what someone looks like rather than how someone makes you feel. You want the person that's got your back. You want the person that's with you at your parents' funeral. You want the person who has emotional intelligence and is kind, but people rather go look at the height, the superficial stuff, and sometimes they don't look at themselves as equally. And I do find like a lot of women will say, because women will come out of a relationship and do work on themselves. Men, not so much. Men are less, a lot of guys don't get over their breakup so much. They just want to 
leave one relationship, jump into the next, and jump into the next, but never dealing with anything. So women get frustrated with that from men. But on the flip side, there are so many good single people out there that there isn't any lack, but it can feel that way at times because dating is a different world. It's interesting you saying that because and that, yeah, it's sorry. There's a bit of a lag and we're talking over each other here. It, it's interesting you saying <laughs> that because it's a completely different scenario, isn't it? When you're young, you've got your whole life ahead of you. It's all new. But when you get, the older you get, you've got decades more experience. Your tendency mm -hmm. is going to be far more cynical. There are a lot less possibilities. Yes. <laughs> a lot less positive yeah. and good possibilities anyway <laughs> and the bad possibilities far outweigh yeah. the good ones <laughs> and then quite often you can look at it and go do you know what it's just too hard <laughs> it's because yeah. it, it is a whole different scenario isn't it dealing with that from our age group it, it, I think that People do go, this is too hard, and they give up. And you've got all the horror stories out there, the scams, the cheating people on dating apps. Like there are so many horror stories and so much fear, and then you come with your own fear uh, that it makes it hard. And I know that, but dating apps, and this is a whole nother podcast, right? A lot of the people when they go on dating apps only choose the top 10% of people. So maybe they're choosing the George Clooney's and leaving the other wonderful people out because they don't have a good profile, they don't have good pictures, it's only two-dimensional, right? And good people miss out on good people because it's too superficial. And I, and I know I was, did a podcast interview with some women in the Eastern States that developed a dating app. And when they were developing their dating app, they put their partners in it and they weren't a match. They didn't choose them. So sometimes what we think we're going to choose and what we actually choose are two different things. That's really fascinating because even if I think about my husband, the one that I've just separated from, he, if anybody had picked out who my husband was going to be, it wouldn't have been him. <laughs> just, yeah. he just, it, for some <laughs> reason, he just wasn't my type in personality, looks, anything. He just wasn't. So really fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to go on those apps and have a look. <laughs> Maybe, not right now. I do think like people go, maybe you go on an app and you feel like 90% of the people are wrong, but you only need one. So it, there's ways that you can get out there and meet people. And I've worked with people who have met people on Tinder and are in, got married from Tinder in their 50s and their 60s and they're really happy. So you might hear the horror stories out there, but if you're in this position, there are plenty of good news stories, but you're not going to hear them in the media <laughs> because it's not newsworthy. People like to have groups that are about their bad dates. We like to talk about the bad stuff. But I, I do think that on the other side of divorce, if you want another relationship, it's absolutely possible. And sometimes allow yourself the time between the two to discover who you are, discover if that's what you want. Like there, there is no however you want your life to be yeah oh, no, I was, I was I left my marriage when I was 42 and I probably dated on and off for 15 years I didn't want to be with someone so I traveled I had relationships that's that suited me and then 
when I was 55, I've met someone that I've, not when I was 55, I've been with him for a couple of years. So I'm in the relationship I want to be at the time I wanted it to be, if that made sense. Where people say it's too late, it's not too late. So is there, it's about time to wrap up. Is there anything else you want to talk to us about? <laughs> I, I think we've covered so many things in this interview, right? <laughs> we've been all over the place, right? <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> so I think I, <laughs> you could talk about this stuff like forever. And it's, it's, I don't know, like I could talk about this stuff forever. So I think I've covered what I want, but I just think go find if you're in this position, go find yourself. As cliched as that sounds, go have fun dating and you're gonna it's gonna be messy at times, but start to find out who you are, what makes you happy, and don't ever abandon yourself again for someone else. Thank you. How can people get in touch with you? The links will be on the website, on the webpage that goes with this podcast, but just tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Okay, so my website is debbierivers.com.au and you'll also find me on Instagram to find me. And what kind of services do you offer? Do you have things for people who are going to start to date or what kind of services do you offer? Yes. Yeah, so look, I offer one-on-one coaching, um, group coaching. I also have some online programs that people can do. I have got a workshop coming up for people in their 40s, 50s and beyond, the Love Lab, How to Master the Art of Dating. And it's just a Zoom workshop so they can join me from anywhere. And, yeah, so I will work with people at whichever stage they're at to get the results that they're looking for. And then, yeah, I've forgotten what I was answering now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you I didn't. Also, that. if people want to work with them, yeah. I do run some singles events. So I started actually off running singles events and then I found that it was one thing to meet people and another thing to do that. And I sometimes think that singles events can feel a bit depressing for people. So that's why I like to focus on the stuff that will actually get them the best results for them. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I've had such a good time talking about this. (laughs) Me too. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget, if you've been thinking how great it would be to have your own podcast so that you can interview guests and speak to people about the topics that you're interested in personally, head on over to speakuppodcasting.com to find out just how easy and cheap it is for you to start podcasting. There's a download on how to start a podcast for free waiting there for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.